Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new exciting episode of the Nintendo's Podcast, the podcast where we talk about Nintendo games, new and old. I am your lovely, beautiful, handsome on the inside and outside host, Connor, and today I am joined by my lowly co-host and brother, Brayden. What's up? What's up, guys? How's it going? I'm pretty good over here on my end. I think we have some spicy games to talk about today, so I'm spicy. looking forward to getting into it. Absolutely. That's an interesting word to use. I have a lot of feelings about the Nintendo <laughs> for this episode, so stay tuned because I will let those feelings out. And I have a less gem-y, more contemporary, newer release game that I, that in a way required a lot of feelings. If you think about it. Yeah, I don't know what this game is. It kind of <laughs> scares me, so... I know you've at least probably maybe Googled it just like when I told you I wanted to do it for the show. Mm-hmm. To cover it. What do you, so what do, you, what do you know about it? What is your impression? So when, when you told me uh, that you wanted to cover this game, it's called Art School with a Q instead <laughs> of C-H, I believe. Correct. Um, so Art School... I I can't remember if I went to the eShop and checked it out or just typed it into Google, but I've only seen one picture, I believe, mm-hmm. the promotional image. Right. And it's bizarre looking. I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah, you, you're going to have to walk me through this one. Did you watch the trailer or anything? No, I did not. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, so this game is Art School. It is developed by a gentleman named Julian Glander who is like this graphic designer, digital artist, game designer guy that I actually follow on Twitter. Um, He's kind of like a a Twitter funny man, but also Mm -hmm. makes really cool art. Like that one image you have Googled, I'm sure. Yeah. Like lots of interesting digital art in the same sort of style. I guess to kind of give it some sort of reference point for the audience, I would call it Katamari-esque. Ah, okay. Like generally, like everything in the game is like, kind of bizarre yeah bizarre a little blocky lots of pastel color yeah colorful very very colorful kind of like rounded cutesy in a weird way blocky and rounded yes exactly i mean yeah (laughs) i mean yeah i know know what you mean it's like it's like low low polygon graphics Uh you know but it's like a they're colorful but then then they're shiny and it's not really like cell shaded either skipping ahead a little bit the whole game world feels like it was made in like unity or like unreal engine or something <laughs> like it all kind of feels like it's like barely held together by a thread <laughs> yeah but, but i'll kind of get to that but yes it was developed by this guy so um i kind of followed this game's development incidentally i didn't realize it was out until pretty recently it originally came out on steam about two years ago to the day really like today today just about like February. Oh, okay, yeah. And then it dropped on the Nintendo Switch eShop about a year and a half later, last fall. And so I finally picked it up. If you watch the trailer alone as like a primer for the game, it sets the stage very well for the tone of it, but not necessarily what exactly you do. Gives you the vibe, but not the content, not the yeah. So so it's all it's like very glitchy, weird, like anti-pop music. Okay. Like it's a. Have you heard of Vaporwave? Yes, I have. Okay, cool. Yes. I'm not not that old. I mean, well, okay. (laughs) Yes, vapor-wavy music, but like with really weird, glitchy, auto-tuned, computer-generated voice singing. That sounds cool. It's very cool, but it's, it's very weird and silly and unnerving a little bit, but like 
again, everything's all very cutesy in the game. Sure. So, and and I'm sorry. So to rewind, it, all of this is by one guy. More or, or less. Did he do okay. I just think it's cool. Like when people can do their own music, they can program the game, design everything, or right. You know, it, uh, nothing against having help either. So the the developers are listed as Julian Glander and Red Deer Games. Uh, I don't know anything about Red Deer Games, but the publishers are Glander Co., which is his thing, and he is definitely like the visionary behind it. When you play the game, it's pretty clear that it can easily be like a one man job, and I kind of believe that it is. Cool. Um, so, to to get to the game itself, you in art school, you play as a little character named Froshman. That is F R O S H M I N. Okay. And you have just enrolled in art school. That is art school with a Q. Uh-huh. And you are tasked with creating different art pieces, uh, a total of fifty throughout the game by this neural AI network that is personified by a floating, weird, glitchy letter Q with eyes. Okay. And so it takes place in like this huge open 3D world that you can just kind of walk around and explore. You have um, an infinite jump. Like essentially fly? Yes. A very like unintuitive flying mechanic. Yeah. Because it it is just like you tap the jump button and you just like keep going. Keep bouncing? Yeah. The game world is like a bunch of different like floating islands kind of like stacked on top of each other, like kind of mishmashed. Mm-hmm. And so you can just kind of walk around, jump around, fly around, whatever, this whole world, looking at all these weird objects, artifacts, buildings. It's all like, again, like it's kind of like Katamari-esque, but if Katamari were set mm-hmm. on like some weird alien world instead of like on Earth. I was about to say, so is everything like purple and surreal and like yeah. colors? Yeah, or it's very. Is surreal. it like New York buildings? You know what I mean? No, it's very surreal and abstract. Like mm-hmm. there, there are buildings, but they are not conventional shapes. They're like spheres mm-hmm. and like curly tubes, and they're all like pink and purple and blue and yellow, like bright pastel colors. Yeah. So yeah, you are, you have this whole world to explore. It's a big world, but you can kind of see everything there is in like half an hour okay it is a it's, it's it's a little game you can explore the world in walk mode but then you can press the r button to enter art mode and then mm-hmm. it essentially turns into microsoft paint <laughs> okay and that's how you make your art uh Actually, like a more complex microsoft paint or like literally you know the same basic tools that they give you there arguably a simpler microsoft paint do you, do you remember kid Picks studio Yes, I do. It's a lot like that. Whoa. It's a lot like Kid Pick Studio and like only because it's a game, it's also reminiscent of like Mario Paint in a lot yeah. of ways. But half of the reason that you can walk around in the world, I think, is to like get inspiration sort of. Like there's so many weird, cool huh. design things to like look at and draw. And like some of the prompts even are like draw a tree that you see on campus. Yeah. Um tree meaning like a weird like pink <laughs> broccoli that looks like rubber sticking out of the ground you know nifty yeah um but the other function of like the big open world is that you actually find the different brushes that you have available and the different colors you can use in your palette in the world you kind of like they're like items that you collect okay um, hidden around sprinkled around so the more you explore the more uh tools and stuff you can use to draw paint make your art Mm -hmm. 
So can can I ask about the brushes? Like, does it unlock the color pink or does yes. it unlock like a whole palette of pinks? You know what I mean? Or like literally a br- you only start out with like red, blue, yellow or something? That's a good question because it, it has an int- interesting answer. You start out with a black pencil, like oh. like Microsoft Paint. Uh-huh. Um, and then you can collect like a wavy brush that's like a pencil, but it just like automatically like kind of like ooh, squiggles ooh, or something. Yeah, squiggles. You can get like a stamp that is a, a random image every time you use it. Uh-huh. You can get a rainbow brush that is just a randomly generated rainbow of colors. Mm-hmm. You can get the shape tool that's like basically the shape tool in Microsoft Paint. Like you kind of like draw, yeah, like a, a closed like polygon or whatever, and it just like fills it in. Uh-huh. You find the paint bucket. So those are all like tools. And then you also, yes, you also find like the colors themselves, like yellow, pink, blue, purple, gotcha, white. And those are essentially all the colors there are. They don't give you colors that are outside of the palette of the game. Right. And yes, and that's where the interesting answer is, because as you progress through the game, as you uh, turn in your assignments and continue forward, the game world changes in color the environment everything in the game world will like kind of shift colors in that palette Uh and the same goes for like your uh your palette that you're using for your art yeah and it's like it took me a long time to notice that that was happening you're like i swear that was green a second ago yeah (laughs) actually it's like kind of disarming a little bit Uh Uh, but and i don't know why what the significance of it is or if it's just like a weird abstract choice just to like kind of be weird and abstract because it's an mm-hmm. art game, you know, but it's it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And so the the general progression is you are given an assignment by the AI. The assignments include draw a dog, draw a dream you had last night, take the most amount of time and deliberation to create the most articulate piece that you will ever make. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like there, I think there's like 200 some prompts mm-hmm. that are kind of like randomly selected for the 50 that you have to do yeah. to complete the game. So draw a thing, return to the professor, the AI man, and he will grade your work with a letter grade. To I beat the game. I completed all mm-hmm. the assignments that I had to, and I collected almost all of the brushes and the colors. I couldn't find all of them. Uh-huh. And through all 50 assignments, I'm still not sure if the grades are randomly generated or not. Huh. Oh, that's I, also just an interesting design choice. Yeah. Go, go into detail. So I can't tell if it's on purpose just to like kind of mess with the player. Uh-huh. Or to, and to like kind of like make a jab at like the futility of art or whatever. Like, right. It's arbitrary. It is. I think it is. Well, but it has consequences, actually, if you get a bad grade. Oh, okay. It's very interesting. I mean, I think just to touch on it broadly, I think this game has a lot to say about art and the artistic process and art school itself and like grading a subjective medium. Right. Like it has a lot to say about that without actually saying it because it's just like a silly indie game that's about just like Microsoft (laughs) And yeah. it, like, it doesn't actually say any of that directly, but it just like in a way suggests it by being uh-huh. an art game that it is, by being a piece of art itself even. Uh-huh. Um, but it is the natural result of playing this game. Exactly, right. But yeah, so he, he grades your assignments. Um, there's four criteria that it's like line work, colors, 
concept and like something else. And there are, it's like a little like bar graph for each one. It tells you like what your score is for each of those things. And then you get a letter grade, but there were assignments where I was like, I just want to see what's next. And I would just like draw like a single black line on the canvas Mm-hmm. And then I would get like a C or a B and move on. And like, okay. and like color would be like all the way up on the, on the score thing for, for whatever reason. And then right. like some that like I put a lot of effort in actually, like it, and tried to follow the prompt very closely and got a D and had to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's, and I can't, I really can't tell if it's like, if it gauges it by the prompt itself uh-huh. or if it actually detects anything about what you draw or if it's just completely randomly generated. And I would say that it's got to be randomly selected arbitrarily, except, so I played it kind of communally. Mm-hmm. It, you can play it, it's very cool on the Switch because obviously you can play it on the go and use the touch screen to paint, which is very intuitive. Uh-huh. Makes sense for the kind of game itself. But what I did was I played it on the TV. And so you use the controller and you just use like the right stick to move the cursor around. Oh gosh. And so the art pieces came out really janky a lot of the time. Um, yeah. But it was really fun because I played it like with some of my friends would like pass the controller around and like they'd take a turn drawing something. Yeah. It was it was almost like a party game in that way. We would kind of like compare notes and like some of us would get really terrible grades and some of us would get good grades. To bring it back around the for the grading system, my one friend, Lauren, she was given an assignment. I think it was like the dream one to draw like a, the dream you had last night. Mm-hmm. She, and this was like assignment, like 40 something. This was close to the end. This was like, everything was smooth sailing up until now. Uh-huh. Uh, we handed her the controller. She did it and she got an F. And so she had to do it again. And so uh, she tried again. She like drew something different. She like, we were like, maybe you didn't use enough color or something or like, maybe it wasn't like intricate enough or whatever. Um, and so <laughs> she did it again uh-huh. and she got an F again. Oh, okay. And then, and then I took it and I made something like whatever, mm-hmm. and I got like a B or something, and I or an A, and I passed, and what? it like, and I so I really don't, I don't know. Sometimes it feels fixed. Sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like it knows what's actually happening. I'm really not sure. It's just hard to tell. So she got two F's in a row. Had you seen an F before that? No, I'd gotten D's and had to redo some before, like <laughs> just a few, but she got two F's in a row and I have no idea how or why. And since she hates art school now. Yes. Art, art is not for her, apparently. <laughs> this is more, this is more of a, just like a, a, a personal anecdote, a personal story. Um, I thought about having my roommate Kyle on this episode to share this story himself, but uh, I think I'll do it justice. We were passing the controller back and forth and he was given the assignment to make a piece as slowly and deliberately as you possibly can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this was like assignment 30 something. This was like a ways into the game. Yeah. And so he was, he took 20 or 30 minutes uh, (laughs) making this intricate. I'm making so many weird callbacks for this episode, but do you know, do you remember like the windows 98 screensaver? That's like the pipes. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Oh yeah. It's where like, built itself yeah the pipes like yeah that's like what it looked like like he was like making this mm. very intricate just a system of lines uh, but like it yeah it was very being very methodical and like thoughtful about it because he's like an artist uh-huh. himself i was about to say i think he's an artist but, oh yeah. very much so and he was having fun with the game with me but the game crashed no way the game crashed like, like and again like so at what point 
Like while he was still working? Yeah. Dude, had it crashed before? No, and it hadn't since. And and I don't know. It was too freaking deliberate. It, I guess it was just it was baffling. It was like our jaws dropped. Oh. And like and again, like I mean, some of these some of these assignments oh. I just like make it like a single line. Some of them I like the most I would spend is like five, maybe ten minutes on it. Uh-huh. Like drawing with the controllers and anything, but he was like doing his best. Oh. And it that feels and, like the dominoes falling before you get to put the last one down or something. Right. So I mean that was kind of it. He he kind of gave up on that assignment. We turned it back on and then I did it for yeah. him. And then, and he was legitimately pretty sad about it. It was uh-huh. very heartbreaking. Yeah. And then the best part was though, that the following assignment was this, this is just like the kind of thing that makes me think that something about this game is like intentional and like trying to mess with the player because the following yeah. assignment was to draw what sadness looks like to you. You're kidding. I kid you not. <laughs> Oh. I, I swear on everything that I am. That's hilarious. It's a conspiracy. It is. I mean, like for the audience, me and Brayden kind of discussed before this, like if we, if I wanted to discuss this game, art school, because it's like not too much of a game. Again, like it's just kind of like a paint uh-huh. program. There's not a ton to it in itself, but like I don't trust it. Right. You know, I think <laughs> I think there's so much more it's than a sus game. It is, when art school is sus. Uh, I don't know. I can get really pretentious talking about art and especially games as art, should we? Uh, yeah. But like, I don't know the way it like this short, like, and, and we spent like a total, of like, like maybe three hours playing the whole thing. Uh-huh. This short little game just illustrated so many facets of the futility of art, the, the decadence, the splendor of creativity yes the 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 fun and community that can be found in in artistry yeah i don't know so many so many facets of the artistic process reveal themselves in this silly little game this silly little six dollar game six dollars i was waiting for that 6.99 i think okay use your gold points it'll be six right yeah (laughs) yeah and that's i mean that's pretty much all i've got on it there's not much else that was fun though but I mean, the thing is, I don't know who I would. Sug- and the, here we go again with the, like the art discussion is like, mm. I think it's a worthwhile experience. But like, how much do you charge for an experience like this? Like, I almost think uh-huh. seven dollars is too much for some people. Right. If you watch the trailer and are like, I want to make silly little pieces of Microsoft Paint that look like this trailer, then pick it up and you'll have a blast. And especially if you play it like with friends, like I did, like I, that was, uh-huh. that was definitely that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. It definitely made it a lot of fun. I think I would have been a lot more bored and like a little frustrated with it. If I was just like playing it by myself on mm-hmm. that, trying my best, but as a silly, fun, lighthearted experience, I think it was absolutely worth it though. I do want to touch again. I alluded to earlier the game, the game world itself is like kind of barely held on by a thread yeah you did mention that what does that mean it's just like barely functioning system yeah the controls are terrible the camera makes no sense there's like physics objects in the world that just kind of like your character just kind of like stumbles over like froshman the character yeah just kind of like glitches over and through like weirdly Hmm. the game world itself doesn't feel like it was like actually play tested uh, sure. For better, or for worse. But that's also kind of like this creator, this visionary, Julian Glander, is kind of like a thing. Yeah, it seems like, like a style. Yeah, like a like the fact that you can like kind of infinite super jump, like 
all the way to the sky infinitely forever as long as you want is kind of like indicative of like ah yeah it's just kind of like it's barely have fun kids have fun yeah it's a game made by the kind of designer that knows that gamers like to break the rules yeah oh wow and that's that's what you can do Uh uh-huh because you can super jump into the skyblox crash the game and yeah glitch into the geometry of the world on accident Mm -hmm. on purpose like it's it's that kind of thing don't you wish you could glitch into the geometry of real life i think it would hurt you're right (laughs) but yeah that's just about all i got any any questions class my only question is pretty lame so when you're painting do they just like give you a white background or what uh yes but you can use the fill bucket to change it to whatever colors you have Uh, okay yeah so i would i would usually make the background like a pretty pink or a blue and then go Mm -hmm. well cool i don't know if i will get it but it's understandable i thoroughly enjoyed your telling of your experience of it and and (laughs) i so i think i'll have to pass on positive praise for it too you know what i mean i i'll bring it over and you can we'll see if you get an a or an f on the on the first try (laughs) yeah sounds good so then our gem for the week is apparently something extremely special to Braden. <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of discussion behind the scenes about what kind of presentation we wanted to do for it, or what yeah. rather what Braden wanted to do for it. He, he played it. Yeah. I have not played this game. You thought about doing like a scripted essay sort of thing. Yeah. Maybe doing like a Pokemon spinoff comparison like we've done before. Mm-hmm. Those but were fun. Th- it was fun. But I feel guilty that it it is being stuck next to an equally niche, obscure flagship game, as it were, for this episode. It's okay. I just, I had been wanting to play this game for years since it came out, and I finally got my hands on it. I finally got to spend some time with it, and it's such a roller coaster of emotion now that I've finally gotten to play it. So I want to really try and nail it as hard as I can, but mm-hmm. I think the Nintendo treatment will be just fine. All right. I'm I'm glad that you feel that way because here we yeah. are. You're on a choice. <laughs> here we are. Well, without further ado, the game that I'm going to be discussing is Pokemon Conquest for the Nintendo DS. It came out in 2012. And one thing that Connor and I have been discussing is kind of strange is it was released for the DS, but the 3DS actually released a year earlier. You know, they had been developing this game for a while for the DS, apparently, you know, that they didn't want to convert it to the 3DS. Right. Which kind of explains its obscurity, too. Sure. Absolutely. It, It was on a dying console. But part of the obscurity as well is that this is a Pokemon spinoff game. It does not follow the traditional Pokemon monster-catching formula. It takes on the genre of tactical role-playing game. What is a tactical role-playing game? All right, yeah, that's a good question. So to step back for a second, a tactical role-playing game is different from traditional turn-based role-playing games in that there's generally a grid for which your characters can move around. So rather than only being able to choose an attack and then that attack kind of happens, you you know, you take turns with you and the opponent. There's actually a a map that these characters move through and then you choose your attack or your magic spell or whatever. And then that attack happens. So it's kind of like chess? It is reminiscent of chess. It adds, you know, a three-dimensional aspect to the turn-based role-playing game where you just need to be concerned about the placement of your characters. We're at a great point for me to kind of 
go into some of the 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 in-depth nature of tactical role-playing games there's so much variation on what can happen for these games fire emblem for example when your character dies in the game it's gone forever you can never use that character again another thing that fire emblem does and that some tactical role-playing games do is that when you attack an enemy that enemy automatically gets to attack you back some tactical rpgs don't do that some care about what direction your character is facing at the end of its turn because if someone gets behind you they'll deal more damage but Mm. some games don't care about that so going into pokemon conquest i was very curious you know what kind of game this would be because from fire emblem to advance wars to final fantasy tactics you know there's just plenty of variation mario plus rabbits is a tactical yeah. role-playing game that blew my right. mind because you know it, it maybe we ought to talk about that sometime but you know it just it's a different kind of tactical rpg right yeah there's a there's a lot of variation within the genre i feel like it gets like some intricate niche genres it gets like a bad rap for kind of being the same thing every game mm-hmm. but there's always there's definitely a lot of variation a lot of the time yeah When I heard that Pokemon was getting the tactical RPG treatment, I really thought that sounded like a phenomenal use of the property, the Pokemon property of the battling system, Pokemon's having Pokemon's Pokemon having attacks that are unique to them, to the, you know, each Pokemon. The type. The type difference. Yeah, the the battle type differences and, you know, what's effective against the others. I you know, it seems like it should work perfectly and i guess to finally move into the the gameplay a little bit i would say overall it succeeds it is indeed a tactical rpg that is pokemon and you know for better or worse uh they tried to take it on and i think they missed a lot of marks that call for a sequel uh, no, I need to slow down. I need to hey, lay out lay out the concept of the game at the outset. What's going on? So the game, to make it even stranger, is actually a crossover with the franchise called Nobunaga's Ambition, which is it, it, it is a legacy strategy series that you know has produced games and I believe other crossovers. Mm-hmm. Maybe I kind of didn't realize that or i forgot about it um in the eight years since it released and i picked it up a couple months ago so you say it obviously the gameplay is going to take notes from both nobunaga's ambition being like the tactical rpg and from pokemon being like the regular Mm turn-based rpg battles with like different types and elements at play and like all different creatures to collect but what is what is the plot i guess like how does it come are there pokemon in the nobunaga's ambition universe or like vice versa or something so it's kind of like they took the nobunaga's ambition characters and threw them into the pokemon universe it's it takes place in the ransay region which to my understanding there's no other pokemon games that take place there and and it is all about war you are a warlord in feudal Japan, which kind of goes along with Nobunaga's ambition, that theme, and you are tasked with taking over the 16 other cities in the Ransei region to prevent essentially an evil warlord from doing the same thing. Mm. 
The story is very weak <laughs> and doesn't seem very Pokemon-esque because, like I said, it's all about war and you are going to these different cities and like the warlords of each city are kind of friendly. They're like, oh, you're challenging me. Yeah, good luck. Mm. But I mean, if you win, you are taking their city. My goodness. I don't, you know, you are now their king. And I don't know. It sounds like a, I, a happy balance between like actual like historical Japanese warlord conquest. Right. Nobunaga was like a historical figure. That's that's like a real, real he's like a real like warlord man. But combining, I mean, Pokemon's almost sort of the same way. Like, <laughs> you fight a ter- terrorist organization, Team Rocket, on the regular. Right. But you don't, like, fight them. You just battle your Pokemon, you know? And then, like, That's either true. Marl Inzer <laughs> doesn't because of that. So, like, I mean, the stakes are high. But, like, I, it sounds like it makes, like, that kind of historical fiction that the Nobunaga's Ambition series is known for. And, like, yes. keeps it light, keeps it fantastical and, like, on, on the in the Pokemon tone where things are the stakes are high, but like the way they play out is, I guess lighter. I don't know. I don't know exactly what I mean to say. So, and part of the blend of the tone that you're you know kind of getting into as the warlord, you have a partner Pokemon. Yours is automatically Eevee, and you mm-hmm. you have a friend, a girl who has a Jigglypuff as her partner Pokemon, and that is kind of how the units will work throughout the game as you capture different cities you can recruit warriors from those cities and they all have a partner pokemon and so you can change that partner pokemon for the warriors but it's not like you're really forming your own pokemon team you know it's not the party system that you're used to in the the traditional pokemon games right are you do you choose a party of people of like soldiers or other warlords for each battle you do so you have the ability to move your warlords around the cities that you've captured uh to train them to do activities such as find you money or items or they can go on to attack an enemy city and that initiates like a battle it does and that initiates a battle and then to answer your question you you kind of draw the troops you want from the cities you want to go to battle and so the troops the units that you use in the battle aren't the soldiers they're not the troops they're the pokemon that they choose that right is correct that's interesting because I mean, it makes it really it really does make it into like a, a tactical pokemon battle it's true so yeah that is really getting into the meat of the game and what you want to be the most fun part of the game is you know the the tactical battles so so then explain the battle system and what makes this battle system unique from other tactical RPGs? Like, how does it implement the Pokemon angle, I suppose? Like, usually in tactical RPGs, like, you have a turn. Your player has a turn where you, like, move each of your units around, maybe make them take action, attack opponents or mm-hmm. something. And then you, the enemy team does the same thing. They move their units around the map and so on. And then I assume with Pokemon Conquest, the type differences are kind of key in like strategizing and building your team of troops. Very much so. And so you get to see kind of what you're up against before you go to battle. You can choose appropriate Pokemon types to take them to battle and, you know, not effective, uh, not very effective. And then super effective are, you know, definitely strategies that you want to play into. The combat was just, uh, it ended up being a little bit more, simple than i had hoped 
I had gone in thinking, maybe hoping that the Pokemon had multiple attacks. Do they not? No. Each Pokemon each po- has one move. Each Pokemon only has the one move. And so let's use Charmander as wow. an example. Charmander uses Flamethrower, and he he doesn't impact the square right in front of him. The attack skips a square to do damage. Essentially two squares in front of the Charmander is where he does mm. damage. And that's just Flamethrower. So he's kind of like a ranged character, sort of, like a zone? Exactly. Interesting. Okay. But Torchic will have that exact same flamethrower move. Mm. And so at some point, it begins to feel like the different Pokemon don't mean a whole lot. So... You know, they the Pokemon will evolve, you know... Does that change their moves, their abilities at all? It does. So Charmander evolves into Charmeleon, and Charmeleon fills in that second square so Uh, he does he actually does damage to the two squares in front of him and then charizard gets three squares you know and so it's like upgrading your units in a fire emblem or something like any other rpg absolutely and so it it is fun and the pokemon skin to it all is so satisfying and feels like the future of pokemon to me (laughs) after playing sword and shield I was so disappointed. Right. It just, it was watered down. It didn't feel fun. It was a chore. And while there is plenty of strategy and metagame to the competitive Pokemon scene, I do feel like the tactical role-playing game suits the, the franchise very well. Especially if they were able to give the Pokemon multiple attacks. Or right. really just flesh out some of those things that we from the main games the the warrior system is a little obtuse and doesn't serve the game well in my opinion there are 200 warriors and 200 pokemon okay i wish they had 400 pokemon right i mean definitely i mean aiming high in the sky why not all i agree sword and shield didn't have all of them so poop on pokemon they're still doing like the whole the whole gang by in the ds games I feel like it could have been possible back then, even. Yeah, I do think so. There were only, I believe there were only around 400, 500 at that time. Um, it came out after Diamond and Pearl, so that is the... Gosh, at ju- 2012, the 3DS was out. It was probably after Black and White, maybe even Black and White 2, right? Oh my gosh, you're so right. That's because crazy. Because Nobunaga has Zekrom as his partner Pokemon, oh, wow. and that is the Pokemon that will bring devastation and stuff. So, you know, like it, it, you're right, it came out after the black and white generation. So it has, you know, that pool of Pokemon to choose from. And again, I just wish there were more Pokemon because yeah. I did end up seeing Machop a whole lot. <laughs> I saw Meowth a whole lot. And then even that means that the third evolution Pokemon at the later stages, you see those a lot. It's cool to see Machamp and Curlia like over and over again, mm. but there are so many Pokemon to choose from. There's so many to choose from. It feels like they should have been able to fill out the roster and keep the variety, at least in appearances going. Yes. So I have a, a few questions about the gameplay, and that, that kind of ties into one of them. So you said with Charmander and Torchic, they both start with that one flamethrower move that attacks like a square mm-hmm. away, yes? Sure. So is that, yes. is that um, endemic to fire types? Are fire type Pokemon like analogous to like range characters in 
say fire emblem or something and then it's like the water type does the water type do like an area effect like the four squares around your character or something unfortunately not for the most oh, part, i mean that's 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 fortunate to me go, go on go on you explain I think that there should be a fire type that has range and a fire type that has close combat. And well, there should be four of each because there's that many Pokemon, but there should also be a water type that has range and a water type. And that's, it's more like all the water types are the same. All the fire types are the same. Oh, oh, so then yes, I guess. Maybe I didn't ask my question correctly syntax wise, but Mm -hmm. so yes, each fire type does kind of have that same move. Yes. When you get up to the later stages of Pokemon, some of the third evolutions have unique attacks, quote unquote, unique attacks. They just cover different kind of patterns of spaces where the enemies might be Mm -hmm. on the grid. The, the, The moves do get a little more specialized to the Pokemon, you know, once the Pokemon are at their full level. But at least all the first level fire types, you know, they just have that basic flamethrower. So you said there are still the type differences. They're still like not very effective and super effective. And mm-hmm. you said that you do have to strategize somewhat for like the opponent that you're facing. Will one, will an opponent, kind of like the gym leaders in the core Pokemon games, will certain opponents like stick to certain types or something? That is how it ends up. Each city almost has its own element. And so like there's an, uh, an electric city and then there's a water city and then there's a fire city. Mm-hmm. The ghost city, the dragon city. But then for each of those cities, you would end up using, yes, a certain type of Pokemon, but then that means you would end up using only one certain type of move. Does that, is that how it ends up panning out? Because like, because like you were saying, you wish you had like a fire type that had like a close range attack and a fire type that had a range attack. Mm -hmm. So like, if there were like 400 Pokemon, there could be something like that, like a fire type healer, yeah. a fire type, close range of fire type ranger. And then so mm-hmm. up until you get to the grass type city, you could have like a t- variety of fire types to have like a, a multifaceted fire type team with which to tackle mm-hmm. that kind of challenge. And instead, it right. sounds like you kind of just have a bunch of Pokemon that do the exact same thing as a team. It, that is the sad base truth. So Again, Abra can't attack, mm-hmm. and so he teleports around. And so, sure. like, he's different. You know, Magikarp uses Splash. He can't right. attack. He's different. But for the most part, the attacking Pokemon are the same. Which, I mean, I guess that's kind of how normal Pokemon is, too. Like, you, even for, like, certain type gym leaders, you want a slightly rounded out team, I guess. I don't know. It's true. But I just want to compare it to one of my Holy Grail games that I actually happened to repurchase the okay. same day I got Conquest, which is Final Fantasy uh-huh. Tactics Advance mm-hmm. for the Game Boy Advance. Um, I, that's deserving of its own, you know, gem slot someday. But I think that could have been the first tactical RPG I ever played, and I fell in love with the genre. That game is just fulfilling and deep and rich in content and so that is where i formed my expectations Mm -hmm. on the genre and pokemon conquest just feels smaller than tactics for some reason i mean it's a it's an experimental game you know it is but it's literally smaller the maps themselves are smaller there's not as much room to move about which means that even the ranged pokemon don't feel Mm. like ranged pokemon you know, they the the whole map has to kind of be 
constrained and squished in and so pokemon can only attack three spaces in front of them whereas in final fantasy tactics the archer has seven eight spaces of range which feels like range you know so do you feel like this smaller scale is an attempt to simplify things like does this feel like a simplification a almost kidification of like the tactical rpg genre like to make it more accessible to the to yes. the pokemon audience as it were yes in, it does mm, i can see just with with that concept in mind alone i can see already like just like on the surface how this could be feel like a missed mark a missed opportunity across the board mm-hmm. and how there could be a like, potential for like a better sword and shield or something you know Right. Yes. There's just so many components of the genre of Pokemon Conquest itself that could be repurposed and retooled into the mainline games that would make them better games. And if not that, freaking give me Mm -hmm. Pokemon Conquest 2 because I know they can make a better game. The evidence is there. The potential is there. The ideas. The potential is there. And let me tell you, they didn't cut this game short there is post game for days i believe there are upward of like 36 bonus chapters after yeah after you complete the mainline game and then you have to play the game again to fight nobunaga like (laughs) the real nobunaga you know what i mean and so you know they didn't skimp on this game they just filled out the wrong Mm -hmm. areas or something i was gonna ask if it feels rushed in that way but i guess if they if there's so much content in it, I guess it can't really feel. But I I definitely feel like something about the timing and like the life mm-hmm. cycle of the DS and the rise of the 3DS. It seems indicative of something of like how the game's quality ended up. Like it, like it might have been more of a B team right. effort than like maybe they originally wanted or something. I don't know. I think the game is just so novel. I don't understand how Pokemon Ranger <laughs> got five spinoffs right. or got five sequels, whereas Pokemon Conquest hasn't been touched. You know, it just, it it is a great experimental piece for the Pokemon franchise and for the tactical RPG genre. So in that regard, I'll do you one better than Pokemon Ranger. Something that it is reminding me a lot of is the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games. Yeah. Because Mystery Dungeon, for those not in the know out there, uh, Sheeran the Wanderer Mystery Dungeon is like a, is a classic that kind of randomly generated dungeon crawling RPG adventure. Roguelike? I guess? Yeah, like a rogue, roguelike-esque thing is a, is an old, old genre and it's mostly started by this series literally called the Mystery Dungeon and the first Pokemon Mystery Dungeon game was actually a crossover and mm-hmm. it, it's gone on from there. Like it's, it's also got like five or six sequels at this point. Like it has one right. on the Switch. Um, mm-hmm. And so what do you think went right or resonated there with that kind of Pokemon adaptation of a niche RPG genre that didn't pan out with Conquest? Is that too, like, intricate of a question? No, because I feel like I do have a decent answer Mm -hmm. because tactical RPGs are essentially split into two parts. There is the battle, and then there is whatever kind of... All, like, the systems and, like, like administrative kind of stuff you do outside of the battles, yeah? Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think they necessarily nailed that either. Hmm. I wish I had played Nobunaga's Ambition 
before and was more familiar with that series and kind of how that flavor of strategy plays out, you know, uh-huh. before going into this, because conquering the cities isn't quite as engaging as you would like it to be. Mm-hmm. They threaten you with the enemies taking back their cities, but I only experienced that once or twice. I imagine the post game maybe does more with that. Uh-huh. It is annoying to train your Pokemon. <laughs> I only got oh, no. that's no well, it's annoying to train your Pokemon in Pokemon, to be fair. Let's be real. Yeah, but you have to go into this entirely different tactical RPG mm-hmm. like that's gonna take 10, 15 sure. minutes to complete, you know, it's it's an ordeal. And so I only got six or seven Pokemon to their final stages and I ended up using them, you know, throughout the rest of the game right. mostly. Uh so I have I have like a hundred base level Pokemon and then six or seven, you know, beefed up ones. Right. So that I did that is a minor question I also had is um so you talk about the Pokemon evolving. Do they level up per Pokemon or is it like per troop or how does that progression work? That's really interesting. I think this was huh. I'm about to sound hypocritical because I'm going to give praise to a feature that I earlier disliked, but. The Pokemon's power, the Pokemon's strength is based on its link to its warrior. Okay. So you kind of alluded to that uh, earlier. As, like each troop has like its own Pokemon that it like resonates most with. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, and that's true. Each, each warrior has a Pokemon that they resonate with the most and will get the most, they can reach 100% link power. Whereas if it's a Pokemon that, you know, they don't have that attachment to, they can only reach 60 or 70. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, as they battle together more, their, their link goes up and that is directly correlated to the Pokemon's strength. Mm -hmm. Okay. But like leveling up and, evolving how does that plan uh right so and and in turn that means once they reach a certain link percentage they basically just evolve it was interesting i it took me forever to evolve my haunter to gengar because you had to specifically eliminate a warrior's pokemon with him Uh, after you reach a certain link sure percentage and so, you know, some Pokemon have special requirements to evolve, right. but really it's generally based on how good their bond is with their trainer, with their warrior. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Going back to where we were introducing this game, I really and clearly have convoluted feelings about this no game. Doubt. I haven't landed on how I feel. I haven't landed on other Great than I, I need this uh, for this episode. Then I'm glad you uh, you were you had a platform to verbally process all of your feelings about it well and i i think i've gotten through most of the kind of game features that i found interesting Uh you know and different and unique to either the pokemon experience or this strange crossover Mm -hmm. can i share with the audience something you told me Mm -hmm. so in our pre-recording discussions of like what we were going to talk about and you were playing Pokemon Conquest and you were excited to play it before you played it, you were jazzed to play it. Um, and then mm-hmm. you were excited about it while you were playing it. And then now, I mean, obviously in this current moment, the present, your feelings are mixed, but there was one time after you had finished it 
And before we had decided we were going to talk about it, you were deciding what format you wanted to present this game in because you said it was maybe the best Pokemon game you had ever played. You said that. just ratted me out. And dude, I think that... And you play every Pokemon game. You play every every mainline Pokemon game. So that's really saying something. And I, I... Dipped okay. on Pokemon and Diamond and Pearl, so like I, I that means something to me too. You're under the court right. of law here. This is a good kind of. I think this will be a good way to kind of wrap up the conversation. <laughs> okay. Heart Gold and Soul Silver, I think, are objectively the best Pokemon games. Correct. You here. Gold and Silver are my favorite because I have the most nostalgia. Also for Also heard. Here here. This game gives me that gut kind of wow there is something here and i have to say though i think when i said that i was going off of potential sure no doubt i think i had a sequel formed in my mind with all of the issues ironed out and you know a few added features you know and then it could be the best pokemon game the addition of a map during battle adds a whole new dimension to the concept. Give the Pokemon two or three separate attacks, and that'll resonate with the mainline Pokemon games. I just, I think it could be a new, I, I hate that we're talking about this in 2021 instead of 2012, right. because I think it could have been just a whole new genre spinoff branch of Pokemon, and I don't know what happened. Like Mystery Dungeon like for all intents and purposes it was like a one-off spinoff in in its uh own time and then it i don't it just took off for some reason for whatever reason and now it's still around but i think what it sounds like is just like this is the most the biggest innovation on the direct pokemon formula that you have experienced in a long time since my goodness yes i mean since feels so good to hear in my ear. yeah i mean like that's it's as simple as that like since what since freaking red and blue like i don't know I right. mean, like it's because it's the same formula every single game, and but like, mm-hmm. and I think other than pinball or it, mystery dungeon, or exactly, Rainbow. and like that's the important thing. That's part of the important comparison with mystery dungeon is that mystery dungeon is also like an RPG series that incorporates mm-hmm. like actual core Pokemon elements. It's not like Pokemon Channel or Hey You Pikachu that it's like a completely right. different game. They're also they're just like a different RPG subgenres that like really are other pokemon games in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and which i mean a, a blip in that kind of thinking that it like pokemon conquest that just kind of happened and shook up the formula in an in- innovative and unique way but hasn't been touched since mm-hmm. i mean no doubt that's inspiring like literally a decade later right and, and, and a decade and then- later and it still hasn't been touched like that kind of innovation hasn't been uh-huh. touched even by the most recent contemporary entry in pokemon sword and shield Mm -hmm. pretty interesting i it's so fascinating that it's just fallen to the wayside and i think that's you know just part of my fascination with it part of my uh, appreciation for it no doubt and man i haven't said this the pokemon look great (laughs) they it's isometric freaking sprites and they look so good Uh and they do some um they're like well animated and stuff portrait 
they're well animated the the portrait art that they use for them as well like is so good i mean that alone like that uh, conceptually to me like apart from like honestly most things like just like the the aesthetic of like these like japanese warlords because i love like dynasty warriors we mm-hmm. talked about that like the right. feudal japan kind of warlord stuff i i like that mm-hmm. whole um era that kind of theme and like those like characters with like their signature pokemon by their side like nobunaga with like a charizard uh-huh. like lubu with like a dragonite uh-huh. by his side like is a really cool idea to me uh-huh who who these characters is like main pokemon would be is is interesting that's like fan fiction stuff you know but like official media like that is very cool to see i do you know it's very interesting hearing you say that it does sound fun and like it i you actually make it more appealing to me mm. I wonder if the Nobunaga's ambition crossover element actually held the game back. Right. I mean, that's kind of what I think. If they had just implemented the tactical RPG element into straight up Pokemon, mm-hmm. I think I think it could have even felt even better. Right. But unfortunately, it may have been Nobunaga's ambition, which even prompted the thought of a tactical RPG Pokemon. So, you know, it, chicken and egg kind of thing. I Perhaps think. they were just too Nobunaga's ambitious with this title. Huh. Oh, they, they said Nobunaga's ambition in there, in the game. Wait, no way, really? They, they title dropped it in the dialogue? Yep, I screenshotted it. I, I took a picture with my phone uh, um, why? to put on our post. Why did they do, what, did it make sense? It was just like, and that is the end of Nobunaga's ambition or something like that. It was a, it's like the final cutscene, like after you've beaten the final boss and you look back on your team and yeah, then you're like, it was wow, this really was our Pokemon conquest. Yeah. Wow, I really, those 50 assignments were really something. This truly has been art school for me. <laughs> wow, it's beautiful. You know, Luigi, we really are the Super Mario Bros. <laughs> really makes you think. Uh, so that's pretty exhaustive report on Pokemon Conquest overall, I think. It was a little back and forth all over the place, sure. but I think I said everything I wanted to say, and I do think you bringing it back around to me saying it was the best Pokemon <laughs> game I'd ever played, that that was the bow I sure. needed. And I, so. I mean, a statement worth noting. Explore. Yeah, I was going to let you get away with it, kind of, just because like, after this discussion, it seems like your feelings are rationally mixed. But mm-hmm. definitely, I was curious to know how, how you uh, felt about that still. Yeah. And so I'm playing Final Fantasy Tactics Advance now, <laughs> and it's pretty dang good, yeah, dude. Concert. You know, it's a, it's unfortunate that that is just like my my standard for this genre because unfortunate. You know, it, I mean, it is well, the standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How much is it? And Pokemon Conquest is really good too. Uh, I got it for thirty dollars. Tactics was twenty. So <laughs> maybe good tactics. I actually got it for $30 without the case. It's the cartridge only, which I'm not a big fan of. I am pretty uncomfortable with that, especially for small mobile games like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, 30 bucks. And for either Pokemon fans, someone looking for a strange niche tactical RPG experience, $30 for probably the 20 hours I played it is is reasonable and i did not play the post-game content right. dude the chapters i don't understand why there's so much it's ridiculous um so i mean if you like enjoy the game enough to keep playing you know there's there's easily twice as many hours as i put into sure. it sure well dang 
Um, I will say it's a little hard to find. Um, I got lucky at one of our local game stores, but uh, your best bet would probably be online. You know, definitely call your local guy first. I think in addition to it just being like obscure and like relatively unheard of and forgotten about, like it, I don't, it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like there were, it had like a huge print run. Like it is hard to find. Yeah. You're probably right. That's interesting. I wonder how long it was published for. Mm, I don't know. I think you did a whatever theoretical, ethereal essay in your head about this game, Justice, in this oh, external processing okay. session. Phew. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. Thank you for getting me through it. <laughs> of course. Thank you for getting me through art school, paying my tuition. Before Connor gets us out of here, I just want to say uh, to those listening, thank you. Please subscribe to whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It would mean a lot. You can email us at nintengems at gmail. We have a Discord link. Check it out in the description of the episode. Yeah, we just want to hear from you guys. We we appreciate the listens that we're getting and want to know what you like and don't like. Yeah, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Check out my music on all streaming platforms on Bandcamp at weave.bandcamp.com. That's W-E-A-V.bandcamp.com. Check it out. Check it out. Well, thank you for listening to the Nintendo's podcast. We love having you listen to us. Uh, my name is Connor. And I am Brayden. And we will wrap at you next time. Yeah, buddy. Get ready for some Bowser's Fury. Spoilers. Ah, bye, guys. Love you.